This is the Early Link Podcast. I'm Rafael Otto. Today, I'm speaking with Multnomah County Commissioner Jessica Vega-Peterson. She represents District 3, which captures a good portion of southeast Portland from southeast Cesar Chavez Boulevard out to 148th Avenue. I do live in your district, so thank you for your service. That's great to meet a constituent. (laughs) She has previously served in the Oregon House of Representatives and was elected to her current role in May of 2016. Jessica, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Raphael. Great to be speaking with you today. Great. Uh, We're going to spend some time talking about preschool and a report that you just released called Preschool for All. Last fall, you convened a task force that worked on developing a roadmap for overcoming the barriers to providing universal preschool in Multnomah County. How did you become involved in the Preschool for All effort? Early education and preschool has been a passion of mine for a long time. It was something I worked on when I was in the state legislature as a representative. But even before that, I have a a passion for it because my family's been really engaged in working with children. My sister's worked in early education fields for a long time. My other sister got her PhD in that field. And I think all of that stems from really the importance that our parents put on education and the importance of really starting at the youngest age for kids and really engaging with them. So the effort that was behind the scenes was that there were more than 100 people involved in this report and a coalition of 30 leaders from many different sectors. With so many players involved and from so many diverse groups and constituencies, how did you make sure everyone's perspective was heard and included uh, with this kind of collaboration? Yeah, making sure that all voices were heard and that we had a variety of perspectives in building this report and the framework we were building was an incredibly important goal. We were able to manage all of the different voices by being really organized in how we structured things and giving enough opportunities in the process for people to um, not just voice their initial ideas and thoughts, but also have a chance to look at the work that we've done, reflect on it, give some feedback. And we did that um, throughout the 10-month process that we did. How it worked is that, yes, we had the stakeholder, the task force table of about 30 people from early education, philanthropy, business, healthcare, housing, parent voice, community-based organizations, all of those were sitting around the table. But the ideas that came to that group were actually the result of these four different subcommittees that were really made up of subject matter experts that looked at the idea of program and policy, infrastructure, workforce, and finance and administration. And they came up with a lot of recommendations and really dug deeply into the details of building the program from those perspectives. And then all of that was wrapped around with a parent accountability council and parent voice that heard our recommendations, that had time to, anytime we did our recommendations, it went to that group so that they could have a chance to reflect on it and give us feedback on that. So really incorporating this kind of 360 perspective um, and taking the time to do that in the process is how we were able to manage everything. There's an incredible statistic in the PFA report that says a single parent family earning the median income in Oregon would spend 41% of their take-home pay on childcare and preschool. Yeah. That's just an amazing number. If you could talk about just in everyday terms what preschool for all would mean for families like that in Multnomah County. Yeah, I think it's a huge game changer for families in Multnomah County. Even with the investments that we've made at the federal level with Head Start, at the state level with Preschool Promise and Oregon Pre-K, we're still not reaching even all the families who have three and four-year-olds that are under 200% of the federal poverty level. The slots that we have only reach less than 40% of those families. So we know even at that level, 
people aren't being served, children aren't being served. But even when you go above that and you look at just the cost for the, you know, middle income earners, childcare and early education is really unaffordable. I know of stories where people have had to make the decision, should they go back to work or should they not just because of the cost of childcare? And that becomes even more of an issue when you have more than one child who is preschool age or childcare age. There was just a report, um, an article in the New York Times today about the cost of childcare. And they said that in Oregon, Washington, and California, we actually have lower rates of women participating in the workforce because the cost of our child care is so expensive. It's incredible. So it has an impact not just on the kids who aren't don't have access to these quality programs, but also onto their parents and their mothers. Mm-hmm. In the report, the issue of equity and equitable access to preschool is lifted up in there a number of times. What does educational equity mean to you? For me, it means that every child, regardless of their background, regardless of their zip code, has the same opportunity for a quality educational experience that sets them up for success in life. And we know right now that we don't have that system. We're working hard to build it. But this, I think, is a big piece of making sure that happens starting at the earliest stages. So you've talked about centering parent voice in this effort in developing the report. Talk to me about what the parent voice was. How were they involved in the creation of this effort And what do they say about preschool and preschool access? We had some great parents who were at the task force and really a wonderful group of parents that were part of the accountability councils. One of the things that I heard most often and most strongly from the parents that were either on the task force or that I visited with was the fact that they wanted to be recognized and respected as their child's first teacher and that they were going to be welcomed into the schools, welcomed into the programs, and that the programs and the teachers, especially that were working with their children, that were teaching their children, looked like them, understood them, reflected the culture and the languages of where they were coming from. That was a huge, huge priority for parents. I think that's one of the values of early childhood education is the role of parents and families and caregivers in early childhood. I think it's something that sets it apart from K-12. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great thing when you go into a, a preschool classroom and early childhood program that you see the parents engaged in what's happening in the classroom. You see how excited the kids are when their parents are a part of that process. It just adds to the whole experience. I wanted to touch on workforce requirements. Expanding preschool access would require a number of different things, including having a more established early learning workforce. Preschool educators currently do not have pay parity with K-12 educators, and that's a tremendous issue. Can you talk about why that matters? Oh, this is such an important issue when you're looking at the early education system and how we're really going to take it to the level where it needs to be. You're right. Right now, the average pay for preschool teachers is under $15 an hour here in our region. One of the key parts of the report recommendations is that a preschool teacher would make the same amount of money as a kindergarten teacher. One of the big pieces of this is it's not just about expanding access to um, all families, although that's very important. It's also about developing the classrooms and the quality that's going to be important. And as we encourage the workforce, as we encourage the teachers to develop their skills, get either certifications or go through learning to become you know, better teachers in the classroom, we need to be recognizing that effort and paying them for that effort. And we're going to keep losing teachers 
if we don't do that. We already know we have a critical workforce shortage. We don't have enough teachers. We're going to need over a thousand new teachers to really serve the number of children that we want to bring into this program. Um, so we're going to need to do a lot to develop that and having a living wage and pay that recognize their efforts is a huge piece of that. There are some other cities that have gone down a similar path. Denver, Seattle, San Francisco are all cities that have launched publicly funded preschool programs. In Oregon, our K-12 system is largely administered by ODE, Oregon Department of Education, which is a state agency. Can you talk about why preschool efforts in Multnomah County and other cities are originating at municipal and in our case, county levels? Why is that trend in place? I think it's because in the traditional K-12 through systems that have been built both in Oregon and across the country, it hasn't taken into account the needs of our youngest children, our youngest learners, right? And so the structures that have been traditionally been in place haven't embraced those or haven't included those. And so there is a lot of great work being done at the state level that recognizes the importance of early education, the importance of quality early education. We had a historic investment in our K-12 system this year with the Student Success Act that actually includes a component for early education, both in terms of more slots for preschools, workforce incentives, and also an equity fund that really focuses on the kids who have the highest needs who haven't been served traditionally. But I think the reason that you're seeing it happen across the country locally um, in cities or counties is that we have been hearing the demand both from parents, from educators, from early education experts that we're not moving fast enough to really address the needs that families and children are facing. And sometimes it's easier to do that at the local level on a smaller, in a, you know, in a smaller version than it is statewide, but it can be great proving grounds for something that you could spread statewide and pilot some really great ideas and innovative things. And that's what we're trying to do here. I think the issue of demand is interesting because this is something that communities are actually asking for and looking for, and they're in some ways turning to local and state government for help with getting these resources in place. I mean, that sounds like that's what you found. Yeah. We know that it's unaffordable for families to be able to afford um, child care for most of the workers that are out there. I mean, I know it was a struggle for me and my family when we were um, when my kids were, were young before they were in school all day. And we need to make sure that we've built a system that has those kind of public investments into early education so that we can have the quality of the educational experience, the types of classrooms that we want children to have, the number of teachers that we want them to have, teachers who are paid well, and that we're serving all the families that need to be served in a way. And that does take public investment, just like it did with our K-12 school system. Do you see the effort in Multnomah County as a potential driver for how the state might eventually go with looking at universal preschool? I absolutely do. Like I said, the state's doing a lot of steps to help build that. We are able, I think, with this effort, we could potentially move faster and expand faster and really put some things in place that could be a model that could be used throughout the whole state. In terms of the timing, the report just came out. It's you know dated summer of 2019, so it's hot off the presses. Yes. Why now? Why is it important to be looking at this right now? The need is there right now. I mean, every single year that we don't have a really expansive quality preschool program here, we're losing more and more kids who are growing up without experience. And we don't have any time to waste in making the investments for the kids who need it right now. And, you know, and I think also parents would say for themselves, like, please help us. We, we also, you know, need some relief from what we're shouldering right now. The time is now. I mean, the, the case has been made for why early education is important for years. And people understand that. I think that that's one of the nice things that I found um, in starting this work is that people get why it's important. 
but it's the urgency of we don't have a day to waste because we have to start building the system and building the foundations right now. If we want to build the future workforce, um, the future population that we want to see here in Multnomah County. What can other communities learn about the process that you've just gone through? Are there any cautionary tales or lessons learned or are there things that could apply to you know just the rest of the state of Oregon? You know, I am really proud of how we did this process in building the report. We took the time to bring the right people around the table to make sure that we were inclusive of, you know, not just the kind of thought leaders, but also, you know, parents who have life experience with preschool, so that um, who are the experts in it from their perspective. And we were able to incorporate that in a way that I think the report itself shows that we've included those voices and the recommendations that we have reflect the real unique needs in Multnomah County. And so whereas, you know, if there was a different county or a different city that used our process, they may come up with something a little different, but it's a way to to build a, a program, to build a framework that reflects the needs of the community. And that's something that I think everybody should follow. Could we talk a, a bit about arguments against preschool for all? It seems that maybe opponents of this idea would either be those who feel that early care and education of children is best handled in the home or should be the responsibility of parents themselves, or that maybe the existing public school systems aren't giving us the outcomes we need, so why put additional resources into it? Are there, I mean, those kind of seem like general categories to me. What are the arguments? What are you seeing? You know, I would say to those things, I mean, first of all, the reality is that for many, many people, the parent is working, whether it's a single parent family or whether it's a two parent household where both parents work. So we know that there is an existing need for childcare and early education, you know, that reflects that. And and I think to deny that fact is just to be living with your eyes shut. That being said, though, I mean, one of the important things with the program that we were designing was to be reflective of what families were looking for and what their needs are. And that doesn't necessarily, you know, the answer to that wasn't necessarily just expanding our current public school system, right? We know that there's really great um, child care providers and early education providers that are out there that we want to be a part of this program. So we really looked at an expansive delivery model, a mixed delivery model, and who could be included in that program. And that included, you know, early education programs that had a parent-child model where the parents were actually part of the program. We want to be inclusive of that. Um, again, reflecting the fact that parents are the first teachers of their of their children. Going forward, the report says there will be two leadership groups that take these recommendations to the next level. Could you talk about what those are and what they'll be doing? Yes. So um, now that we have the report released and, you know, we're really anxious to share this as much as we can with the public so that they can see this work we've done and really um, start a conversation about the importance of making these kinds of investments. So uh, we're going to be able to do that with the two different groups. The first one is a technical advisory committee, and that group is going to be made up of, you know, some of the subject matter experts from the different subcommittees that we had through the task force process and some early learning experts that are really going to dig into the details of the implementation plan. So what it looks like in actually taking this from the program that we've put on paper to making it a reality. So where do we start making investments first. You know, geographically, we know that there are big childcare deserts in certain part of our county, especially in mid and east county, and populations that aren't being served based on race and ethnicity 
in different parts of our county there. So how do we really um, be strategic about the investments that we start making? How do we bring in the existing ecostructure of providers into that? You know, how do we engage the workforce and engage with our community colleges and our higher education about creating the certifications and the training for the additional teachers we need? All of those detailed questions are really going to be embraced by this technical advisory committee. And then there's going to be a another group, the steering committee, that's really looking at the broader kind of um, more public and political work that needs to be done in raising awareness about the issue and gathering support and champions for early education investment and looking at how do we, okay, we've got this report, we've got this plan, now how do we take it to the next step of getting the public investment we need to make it a reality? And so those are, you know, those are both things that are going to be starting this fall, and I'm really excited about starting that work. So those things are starting this fall, and what else should we know, be aware of about timeline? Well, we're having those conversations, like I said, starting this fall with the idea of seeing if this is something that we could put on the ballot in 2020. So we're having conversations about that. And we're also looking for opportunities to share the work that we've done, the um, outcomes of the report with a lot of different groups. So we're going to be doing a roadshow where we're going to different business organizations, school boards, civic groups to really share the information. So I plan to do a lot of that work and have um, a lot of the champions who have been involved in this work doing that as well. So as part of the roadshow that you mentioned, I just wanted to follow up with that. I imagine you're going to be talking with members of the, the business community. I know that part of the argument for early childhood education is really thinking about investing early because investments early are really an investment in the future workforce for the region. Can you talk about that perspective? Yes. So that was really important as we're talking about the investments that we want to make and why this is important to engage with our business community because they get it, right? They're thinking not just about today, but about what the future looks like. So I was really proud that we had representatives from the Portland Business Alliance as well as Business for a Better Portland on our task force, and we're continuing to engage with them on this work as we're moving forward. And a lot of the business folks that I talk to understand the nexus of making these upstream investments right now that are good for public health, but also make a lot of great sense from a business perspective for growing a a, a workforce that's going to be innovative and entrepreneurial and really be, um, you know, strong workers for the future. You mentioned public health there, and like oftentimes we're talking about early learning, we're talking about preschool. And there are often, if you look at programs like Head Start that have been studied, there are health benefits that go along with this intensive program that's serving kids and families. So there's this intersection between early healthy development and what health is for young children and early learning. Can you talk more about that intersection? Yeah. I mean, that's when people have asked me, well, why is Multnomah County Commissioner getting engaged with it? It's not just that I'm passionate about the issue, but I really think that there is a clear connection between the public health investments that we make as a county, the resources that we put into it, and the need for a really good early education system. And we know that not just from an educational and business perspective that these investments make sense, but quality early education systems really have payoff for children in terms of their ability to thrive, in terms of their rates of graduating from high school, their lack of interaction with our criminal justice system. I mean, there's a lot of long-term benefits that have been proven in the research for this. So I definitely think it's something that the county has an interest in. There's a a longstanding research point out there that I just, I feel like I need to mention because the early childhood programs birth to five 
have been shown to demonstrate a true return on investment. It's significant. It's in the double digits. It's something like 13%. So it makes sense from a financial perspective to invest in the early years. Yeah. The earlier you make investments, the bigger the return on the investment, right? It's over like 10 to 1 in terms of the dollars that you're spending in the early years versus those that you might have to spend in the later years when some might say it's too late. The other piece that I wanted to touch on in terms of both from the health aspect is one of the components of the program that we built that was really important was uh, making sure that we were building a program that recognized the need for early intervention services. And so trying to identify any special needs that would come up for children's earlier so that we could be engaged and and actually do those interventions at an earlier stage because we know that's something that that we've struggled with because kids aren't being um, caught early and by the time they get into the K through 12 system you know we have to we have to deal with the problems but it would have been easier and more effective to deal with that earlier on so I'm really proud of that component of the program too and so there is the existing early intervention and early childhood special ed program mm-hmm. but preschool having a more structured, preschool program that's available to more kids and families can play a role. And that's kind of what you're saying. It can play a role in the identification of needs early on. Absolutely. We want to do a better job of identifying those needs and making sure that as we're building the program, we're not leaving that really critical component out of it, that that needs to be a strong part of it as well. You've talked a little bit about the urgency, why now? And really, I love what you said about there's no time to waste in terms of improving the, the lives of young kids and their families. But if you think about moving toward November 2020, potentially having this on the ballot, what's it going to take to do that? And what does that look like? You know, there's a lot of excitement. There's other organizations out there that have already talking about like the need to do something about early education on the ballot. So I think it's ripe to do in 2020. What it's really going to take is the community coming together and saying that this is an important issue for us and we're going to make that investment. And I think for them to be able to say that our job is to gather up the champions, gather up the people who have been involved in this work so far and really make them um, public you know, spokespeople for this work and the need for that. So that's what we're calling on everyone to do. And that's what I'll definitely be spending the next several months doing. We'll be watching for those efforts. Yeah. All right, Jessica, it's uh, been wonderful speaking with you today. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Raphael. This has been a lot of fun. This is the Early Link Podcast brought to you by Children's Institute. Children's Institute is working to ensure that every child in Oregon has the best start in life. I'm your host, Raphael Otto. Don't forget to tune in on 99.1 FM on the second and fourth Sunday of every month at 4.30 p.m. Episodes are also available on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you can find episodes on the Children's Institute website at childinst.org and on the Portland Radio Project website, prp.fm. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.